fight And we don't have to kill Everybody in the whole wide world Really just needs to chill No, we don't have to fuss No, no, no We don't have to fight Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Just Chill with Oliver George. This is episode 88, and today, sitting across from me, I have an amazing songwriter, musician, and vocalist that I can't wait to talk to you. But before we get into it, I want to remind you, if you are watching on YouTube and you would prefer audio only for whatever reason, you can get that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and other places like that. If you're listening to me on one of those, though, and you would prefer to see this show, you can come check it out on YouTube. And if you do that, I would really love it if you would hit the subscribe button. You don't have to, but I love connecting with new people, and it helps me grow the channel. So thank you so much if you're just jumping in now or you've supported me since day one. If you want to reach out, uh, maybe you've got a cool guest idea or some general feedback about the show, you can hit me up on social media or send me an email at justchillpodcasting at gmail.com. While you're doing that, let me know if you have interest in one of these Holofoil stickers with the show's logo, and I will send you one free of charge. Whew. Now, as I was saying off the top, this person sitting across from me is an amazingly talented, uh, award-winning performer whose solo career is going many big places as far as I'm concerned. But on top of that, she's also a part of many spectacular groups like the Peptides and the Commotions, amongst others. And I just am so excited to talk to you. It is Rebecca Noel. Ah, wow. What an intro. Thank you. Well, you are a powerhouse vocalist. Like <laughs> I said, when I've been researching this episode, I was just blown away by everything I've heard. You make it look effortless, and I'm really just astounded. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, how are you is where I wanted to start, and also happy birthday tomorrow. Say, oh, wow. Cat's out of the bag. Um, I won't I'm say good. what year yeah, or what no, age. <laughs> you know what's funny is when I was... When I was younger, I felt more of the need to conceal my age. And now as I get older, I'm kind of like, it's more of a badge of honor. You Who know? cares? So, yeah. Yeah. Why not? Well, especially if you're aging gracefully too. That's what I, I feel like. Yeah. I feel, I feel like if you're, I'm so, I'm going to be 38. Oh, wow. Um, I thought you I, were much younger than that. <laughs> and I'm not just saying that. Well, see, but I feel like if I try to tell everyone I'm 30, then they'll be like, whoa, she looks like a pretty old 30 year old. Right, so you might as well. If you're gonna lie, you should lie up. You should I, tell it. I mean, tell it. I agree with that, but I would have believed thirty. And then everyone will be like, "Whoa, she's killing it, forty. You know? <laughs> yeah. So that's that's my. I've decided that's the the better. If you're gonna fool people, then you should probably lie up. Definitely. Yeah. And I would have believed thirty though, for the record. <laughs> um, I want to before getting into like how you got into music and and sort of your origin story. I do not want to forget to talk about the show you have coming up next week, and it is called. Decades of Bond, but I've also heard that the newer version is Bond Beyond. So they're actually Bond and Beyond. two different shows. Okay, this is something so, I wanted yes, to clarify. Let's clarify. Yeah, it is. It's super confusing because it's all just coincidentally happening all kind of at the same time right now. Oh. Um, so Bond and Beyond is a show that the National Arts Center Orchestra has been trying to put on for quite a few years now, but it just, you know. It kept getting COVIDed out. So April 2020 was the original. I think, yeah, yeah. So it's it's been um, on the back burner for a couple of years now. So it's finally happening. Um, and they asked me if I would sing, if I would be the soloist for the show and sing the numbers. And um, and I think that they probably got the idea because I I have a show with Ed Lister and Michael. He's the Hanna. musical director. Yeah, right? Ed's yeah. the Ed's the director. It's his, it's Ed's show, and then Michael, Hannah, and myself uh, sing all the songs. And that show is called Decades of Bond. Okay. And so that's that's the thing that's been sort of a bucket list repertoire for me for as long as I can remember since I was lip syncing to Cheryl Crow in my bedroom when I was seven. 
I always wanted to sing. I, I thought, like, imagine being able to sing one of these James Bond songs. And then they're we had this very idea. Powerful. They're so dramatic. They're so over the top. And and then yeah, the the idea for the show came up, and we just thought, yeah, what would what would that be like? An entire night of all the anthemic Bond songs, like just a drama, just a, a night of drama. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, so Ed put that show together, and I get to sing all the songs with Michael, and it's like it's like a dream come true for me. And if I'm not mistaken, after being originally canceled, the first performances were March of last year? For for Decades of Bond? Yeah, am I correct on that? Or? Yes. Okay. Yeah, uh, not last year. Actually, Decades of Bond was another one we were trying to do for a couple of years. We had originally started rehearsing in 2019. Oh, wow. Yeah. And oh, it's moly. just funny, because Decades of Bond... Which is which is the show that I'm part of uh, permanently is is separate from Bond and Beyond, which is uh, that's the NAC's new. show that I'm a guest. On. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that's the one that's coming up on the 12th to 14th yes. at the NAC. Okay, yes. but the Decades of Bond is in Kingston the following weekend. Yes, okay. the 21st in Kingston. So they're both going decades. at the same time. Okay. Yeah. So what are the differences beyond, like one of them is just solo you by yourself? Is that the Bond and Beyond? So Bond and Beyond, I'm a guest and I'm singing five songs. Oh, okay. And then the rest of the night, there's lots of instrumental. It's So it's the National or, uh, the National Arts Center Orchestra's concert. It's their concert and I'm a guest. Oh, okay. Um, whereas Decades of Bond is a, a band that I'm permanently part of and I, I sing for the entire night oh, in wow. Decades. So it's I sing on every song, you know, when Michael sings... Okay. Well, I found that interesting because originally I thought it was just you. And then I saw some of the clips and saw that Michael was also singing some of the songs. And I wanted to know, how did you decide who would be doing which songs? Were there some that seemed like maybe they would just be better in a male or female voice? Or was it more just the ones you guys liked the most? Because you obviously have the range to do pretty much any song from what I've read. <laughs> it's funny. It started out, um, I think the concept was that, um, you know, I would hold down the songs that were that were originally recorded by a female singer, and then he would hold down the songs that had a male vocalist originally. And then, um, and then we started. We we realized that that really didn't leave us with a very balanced show because mm. that that left me with a lot more to do. And so then we just started kind of divvying them up based on what we thought would be more suited to that vocalist. And it kind of it kind of wrote itself in that regard. Like I think the the songs that Michael sings, I, I don't even want to try. <laughs> like he just does them such justice, you know, like the Gladys okay. Knight. Um, he just brings the soul to that song that like I've, I've tried singing it in my bedroom, you know, and I, I, I was like, I think I can sort of carry this song. But then when I heard Michael do it, I was like, no, I never want to sing that song. I only want to hear Michael sing that song. Well, I'm sure he feels song. the same about some of your songs. <laughs> he must. I guess. I mean, yeah, we, we definitely adore each other. <laughs> It's true, though, that they were predominantly female artists that did most of the Bond songs. It was it was Shirley Bassey for a while. She was sort of the original, and and mm. then they sort of stuck with her for a couple different uh, couple different editions of the the Bond movies, and then that then they started to switch it up. Well, that's kind of cool if you guys are doing a bit of a gender swap on some of the songs just to hear a different version yeah. in that sense, a true cover, you know? Oh yeah, when he sings the Gladys Knight song, oh man, <laughs> it's so great. Yeah, it sounds like a fantastic show. Yeah. Um, okay, so the bucket list comment I actually did want to address because I wanted to ask, are you a big James Bond fan? Not just the music, but like the films as well. Have you always... I do love the films, yes. And do you have a favorite Bond, a favorite <laughs> film, and a favorite song? Those are the three I wanted to ask you. I used to... I think for a while, my favorite Bond was always just the Bond of the moment. You know, like when I first discovered James Bond uh, when I was in elementary school, it was Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, same. And I thought he was Golden like eye. the dreamiest. I was like, 
Remington Steel. Oh my goodness! Like yeah, one of one of my original crushes, I would say. And uh, so I thought, well, there could never be another Bond. They can, it has to be Pierce Brosnan forever. And then when Daniel Craig came on the scene, I was like, okay. I'm down for this. <laughs> never mind. He's my new favorite. Well, and so, of course, there were some great yeah. ones uh, prior to Pierce Brosnan as well. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think I'm, I'm going to be a Daniel Craig uh, person. I think he's done now, though, isn't he? I they're, know. they're starting to scout the next Bond. I know, but I feel like whoever it ends up being, I don't know. They're not going to... See, I heard he some just, people that didn't like Daniel Craig just because of the blonde hair. And they, uh, originally, a lot of people had skepticism about really? him as well. Oh, no. It's about the energy that he brings, right? He brought this... this He's intense. Yeah, this intensity that yeah. was just like no other bond. Oh, yeah. The mm-hmm. fight scenes were crazy. In Casino Royale, I remember being like blown away by that. Yeah, I find like, you know, there are a couple, there are a couple Bond movies where Bond got pretty cheesy. And, uh, and, and Daniel Craig never did that. Yeah, who's I guess Roger Moore is the cheesy one, right? Because <laughs> Timothy Dalton only did a few of them in the in the eighties, I believe. Yeah, a couple, but he was pretty good Bond too. My dad never remembers to put his mic on when he says. That. <laughs> um, well, and then there's uh, a lot of people swear by Sean Connery, of course, because yeah, he was kind of the yeah. OG. George Lazenby only did a single film, I believe, mm-hmm. yeah, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah, Ooh, good knowledge. There you go. Yeah, I figured you'd have some Bond trivia. <laughs> um, well, one thing I wanted to ask is, is maybe do a little bit of trivia because I, I was aware of a lot of these songs, but I was still really surprised at how many high-profile artists have done Bond songs that I didn't know about. So I thought maybe maybe you can weigh in on this too. If I name a Bond movie, you can tell me who the artist was that did the song. Oh man, that's scary. <laughs> that's a little scary. I'm, I'm good at matching the artist to the song title. But I'm not oh. so good at matching the, matching the All artist right, well, to the movie well, so title. <laughs> that'll make it a little more challenging. <laughs> I'll try my best. I'm going to embarrass myself. I just know it. So a view to a kill. A view to a kill. Um, ah, uh, uh, wow. Uh, uh, so Duran Duran. Yes. yes. <laughs> like, I was like, aha, no. Nicely done. Duran Duran. <laughs> uh, and some of these, I will say, they they weren't actually the theme song. Some of them were just songs that were featured in the film. Uh-huh. Um, True. Yeah. So on Her Majesty's Secret Service, do you know... The artist from that. Wow, I discussed this at length at our last concert, and now um, hold on, I, I need a second. Um, it was yeah, it clue. was the one we did twice. <laughs> really, it was Louis Armstrong. Yeah, that's what I wrote down. Uh, again, I don't know the song title. I probably should have wrote those down, but it wasn't the title track for the movie. But okay, because the title track was one that was. Oh no! Never mind. No, sorry. I'm thinking of Casino Royale. That was done. There's twice. so no. many of them. Yeah, too. yeah. Never mind. Scratch that. Yes, Louis uh, Armstrong. What about uh, Quantum of Solace? Probably the worst name for a Bond movie. Mm, was that... Um... I can give you a hint. This was a duet. Oh, okay. Was it uh, Alicia Keys? And, yeah, yeah, and Jack White. And Jack White. Isn't that crazy? I had no idea. <laughs> I haven't seen some of the more recent Bonds. But just to list some of these names off, like Madonna, Sam Smith, Sheena Easton, Garbage, Billie Eilish, Jack White and Alicia Keys, as we said, Sheryl Crow, AHA, Chris Cornell... Tom Jones, Nancy Sinatra, Carly Simon, Tina Turner, like the list goes on. Adele, mm-hmm. of course. It's mm-hmm. really mind-blowing. Um, so what was I going to... I guess that's all the Bond stuff. It's I kind have. of like an honor, right? <laughs> like any... any sing- For me, I feel like as a vocalist, that would be the uh, the ultimate uh, accomplishment in my career if I was asked to sing a Bond song. Yeah, it's like being knighted or something, <laughs> right? Retire after that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or winning like a Grammy. It's, it's sort of up there, you know? Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite Bond or Bond movie, Dad? I'm kind of on the Daniel Craig side too. Okay, um, he he really did bring a lot of vitality to the role, and in a degree of uh, 
seriousness. And he came in at a time when the fight scenes they did were um, sort of like uh, the Matt Damon thing. Like they looked real. Yeah. Nothing looked like it was, was like fake. flawless. Yeah, yeah. It was like, this is a real fight kind of thing. And it really got you charged up. So he's, he's right up there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, oh, actually this segues well into it being canceled originally due to COVID. It got me thinking that a lot of guests I've had on comedians and other types of performers had a really hard time with that, obviously, because their livelihood was sort of stripped away. So I wanted to know if you had any ways that really helped you cope during the pandemic. Ooh, you did coping. seem very, very active as well. You did seem <laughs> to manage to still get yourself it's out there. It's funny because people say that. They're like, wow, you still did stuff. And and for me, I felt like such guilt uh, in that I wasn't doing enough. Oh. You know, I felt like I did kind of recede a little bit um, when COVID struck uh I just, you know, like a lot, you know, all of my work disappeared. Um, I also was going through a divorce (laughs) that happened right at the beginning. Yeah, not great timing. So it, it, yeah, it brought me to like the, probably the saddest year of my life because, you know, uh, the giant life transition, but then also having to move into a new place and then not be able to visit with friends Mm. or like hang out, like anything to sort of get my mind off the fact that my relationship has failed and my career is at a total standstill. And I don't know when the next time I'm going to work is. And now I live in this strange apartment and like, it was just everything all at once, you know? And I was like, wow. I might, I don't, I can't hug my dog because <laughs> dog goes back and forth still. So that's good. Oh, really? Oh yeah. Wow. But you know, for half the time I couldn't hug my dog. So, and then I couldn't, invite a friend over to just like come over and watch silly movies and and distract me. You know, there was like none of those things were options. I couldn't go hang out with my parents either because I didn't want to get them sick. So I, I just kind of sat at home in this apartment where I didn't know any of the neighbors and, you know, just like just doing, Oh man. And then like not having the distraction of work either, not having show. Like usually if something bad was happening in my life, I would just sort of immerse myself in work and focus on that. But because that wasn't an option, I was just sort of sitting there staring at my empty calendar thinking like, what do I do? I guess I can write. I mean, like I'm feeling a lot of emotion right now. Or record. Yeah. And so I actually did spend a lot of the time like sort of learning how to engineer audio and Mm. and how to get, you know, a microphone situation happening at home where I could actually send out quality tracks to people. Nice. And so I, I spent a lot of time... Yeah, studying that sort of stuff, but hitting hitting a lot of dead ends, like just not learning it quickly enough that I would get frustrated. Like yeah. I'd have an idea and I was like, I want to record it. And then I proceed to spend the next three to four hours watching YouTube videos on like how to get a, you know, like buzz to disappear or yeah. something. <laughs> and then by then, by the time I get the microphone sounding good, my idea is just totally gone. Yeah, I think it's hard to do both the performing and the technical it's side of hard. things. It's yeah. hard. I find the technical side really would just like completely zap my creative energy. Mm. I um, actually have a diploma in sound engineering, but it's from 2004-ish, 2005, uh, oh. from Terra, the audio recording. Oh, yeah, yeah. Raven Street Studios. Yeah, good school. Yeah, it was a great experience, but it made me realize that every time I was learning that stuff and behind the soundboard, I was always jealous of the person performing. And I was like, oh. okay, I think I'd rather be on that side of the glass. Not that I do that in a big way either, but uh, it wasn't for me. Like I, I knew pretty much by the end of the course that I didn't really want to make this my career. You okay. know? As, as much as I respect the people that do do that, it's a very hard thing to master. And also the technology is constantly changing and the techniques are constantly evolving. So it's you really have to keep up on it if you want to stay fluent in that language. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Um, well, I'm glad that you're able to get out and do all that <laughs> stuff again and have those outlets at your disposal. I, honestly, when I finally got to 
perform again. I started, you know, people started doing live streams. People started like trying to figure out other ways to do it. Yeah. And, and so as soon as that started happening, then I became more active and performing from my living room. And But even that's not the same. You no. might, now that you're like in front of big crowds again, it must be really energizing. Oh man. I remember the first time getting back in front of a crowd after not having been in front of one for like two years. It was, I was so nervous. Like it was like that 14 year old anxiety just came back, mm. you know, like the sweaty palms and I everything. I know it well. Oh man. It Check was... out the intro of this episode where I was like, <laughs> every time, I don't know. Anyways, sorry to cut you off, but no, that's it's something I can relate to I very just, much. Yeah. The nerves came right back. Yeah. It's crazy. And then when you get into the swing of it, it all kind of dissolves away. Every time I do an episode of this, the first two minutes I'm like, and then, yeah. you know, you start to flow into it's like it. That and it's in just, a show too, like yeah. second or third song, then you hit your stride and then you're good. Yeah, you don't look nervous at all from oh, the clips I always, I've seen. I always Good put, Lord. like, whenever I'm planning a set list, I'll usually have my first two songs be, I try to make them the easiest songs, mm, just in case I get that nervousness. And, That's smart. Yeah. Well, because it's got to be really scary. It's scary enough to be performing, but when you've got, like, a nine-piece orchestral unit behind you that are all kind of following your lead, so to speak, it, it must be adding that extra layer of like, if I screw up something, it's going to throw everybody off, you know? That's funny. That's a lesson that I sort of learned this year was that if I have a lot of musicians on stage with me, I don't want to be the band leader because I can't, mm. I can't give cues if I'm singing, if I'm trying to perform. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's like part of the luxury of uh, playing in a band like the commotions or with decades of bond is that, you know, Brian Aslan is the musical director for the commotions and Ed Lister is directing decades of bond. And so they're giving all the cues to the band and I just get to nice. do my thing and know that everything behind me is, is taken care, care of. of. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say, yeah, the other groups that you're in, they're all big, large uh, rosters. Yes. You know, like the Peptides and the Commotions. And what I thought was really cool, too, is that you, all, both those groups, if I'm not mistaken, have multiple vocalists and you sort of share that mm -hmm. spotlight, which is not something you see that often. It's true. Yeah. With with the Peptides, it's really an interesting uh, recipe. What a cool band, for the record. <laughs> yes. If someone hasn't seen their video, it's like so funky and awesome. So there's five vocalists, and each one of us, it's almost like, do you remember when the Spice Girls, <laughs> the Spice Girls, they all had their individual identities, you yeah, know? Like the they persona. were all, and yeah, we all have personas, and but, but they're just our personalities, you know? Yeah. It's not put on. It's just we all contrast each other so much in our musical approach, but also in our personalities. You know, some of us are really extroverted, and then some of us are a little bit more quiet and yeah. and we just like fill in the gaps with each other it's really special yeah it creates a really interesting dynamic yeah wow yeah we actually had one of your band mates on this show who uh juan miguel gomez no way yeah him and uh, another friend jason uh i don't know if you know jason bass player um no i'll show you a picture but of him juan, after yes <laughs> yeah juan yeah. is a great guy as well yeah yeah that's, that's why I love the Ottawa scene. There's Juan so much. Juan is hilarious. He's so funny. He's a true rock star. When uh, you see him, he is. He's such a badass. I remember when I first met Juan, he was really quiet. So I like it took a while for he and I to like for me to really understand his his sense of humor and his personality. And yeah. now like he's just I get him. I don't... <laughs> he's a cool guy. Oh, he's yeah. hilarious. And I've seen he's in a uh, I think it's like a metal rock sort of a hard rock group, and they've been doing really well in Europe. Yes, I can't that's remember what right. the name of the band is. I'm gonna. Yeah, I, I know it's on the tip of my tongue right now, too. But yeah, he's, he's doing... Oh, Fatal Vision, yes. thank you. He's doing solos on, like, the top of a mountain, or I don't know if that's <laughs> exactly correct, but really dramatic uh, videos that He did it first cool. with the peptides when he did, like, that rip and solo in Invaders on the top of that 
Oh, that's it one where like you guys are in a junkyard? It was like a military ambulance in a, in a junkyard. Yeah, yeah. And he climbed up the ladder and yeah, it was super badass. That's a cool video and it, like all the choreography where you guys are sticking your heads out kind of. You know, <laughs> it just looked like it would have been a lot of fun to film. And it was funny because like that's the kind of stuff that we do even when we're not performing. You know, we'll be sitting in like Dee Dee's living room and someone will make a weird sound and then someone else will mimic it and then someone else will harmonize with it. And then before you know it, we're like, that that was weird. We should <laughs> We should add that to one of our songs. <laughs> So it's a really collaborative thing. That's great. Very collaborative, yes. Cool. Uh, well, I do kind of want to go back and figure out like when you got the music bug. I understand that your grandfather was a huge influence on you, a yes. pianist, jazz pianist. Uh, he wrote his name down, John New Newberian. You got it. Uh, Johnny Newberian, they call him on some records, yes, right? Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, your first album, solo album, was sort of a collaboration with him. It was, yeah. So when I was a teenager... Um, I was lucky enough to start performing with my grandfather uh, in the jazz club where he was the, the house pianist at this jazz club in London, Ontario called Maggie's. And Maggie's I remember Bistro? it was called Maggie's Jazz and Supper Club. Okay. And unfortunately it doesn't exist anymore, but it was the most magical place ever. It was where I, where I honed my craft and where I learned so much about myself and figured out what I wanted to do in my life. And so at the time he was playing piano every weekend and they would have singers just coming through town who would do a weekend at Maggie's. And cool. then finally, after a, a couple of years of observing that, my grandfather suggested like, why don't you be one of the singers at Maggie's? And I, at the time, wasn't doing anything. Like I, I had never sung in a band. I had never... I knew that I loved singing, but that's all I really knew at Had the you time. been told by others that you were a good singer at that point or...? Yeah, like I had... Um, I'd done some like uh, musicals at school and like sung in the choir. Okay, so you weren't so, only singing in the shower or something. <laughs> well, I had never really done a solo thing before, okay. you know, been in front of a band. So I, I didn't even know, like that That's that whole suggestion kind of terrified me. But then I thought, well, no, he, I'm, I'm going to be with my grandpa. Exactly. And we can get together weeks in advance and like run over the whole show as many times as I need to do it. Yeah. And we did do that. And get to a point where you're just... Super secure and calm. Or, yes, or you're exactly. still probably really nervous the first time. I mean, the first time I was super nervous, but the 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 um all the people that worked at Maggie's, it was always like the same cast of characters every time oh, I went cool. in there. And so we were all on a first name basis with each other and they were they were like family. You know, they would take care of me. Like when we would show up an hour before the show, they would be like they'd be preparing my <laughs> don't mind my dog sorry I don't know i'm if like mics are picking that dog up upstairs um you know they would bring me like my favorite thing to eat and a drink and, and ask me how i am and ask about the family and so it just really put me at ease i just felt like i was catching up with like my aunt and uncle or something that's awesome and yeah. that place not being around anymore was that a victim of the whole covid situation it actually or? it happened just before covid oh but um it was just a a whole dramatic story um but it was yeah, basically London, Ontario, the the whole real estate uh, tycoons moving in to, to oh, redevelop no. property and Maggie's got... Got the axe. The, they got the boot. Dang, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least you have all those amazing memories. Yes. Okay, well, speaking of all these groups here, and I did want to ask, how do you balance your time between so many groups? And, and speaking of Juan, he's also a guy who's in a million groups, and I find there's a lot of musicians who are doing the same thing, but it seems so unfathomable to be able to like pull that off and it's, still live your life. It's tricky. It's super tricky. But if we weren't doing it, we just wouldn't be working enough. Like for me, mm. um, yeah, I have to be in like four or five bands if I want to be playing every weekend because I can't play every weekend as Rebecca Noel because then 
the market is oversaturated and my fans are like, we just saw you. Yeah. <laughs> Please stop. So this way I get to do, I get to sing every weekend, but it's sort of like uh, shape-shifting, a totally different persona. Nice. Every time there's a show. But yeah, it's super tricky. Uh, my, my Google Calendar is my best friend. Um, well, especially if you're trying to write new material with all these groups as well. Yeah, scheduling the writing sessions has been especially hard because... Mm. You know, gigs are gigs will always trump a writing session, and so when we're trying to find availability and someone's got a gig, it's like, well, sorry, I, I have to be at the gig. Gotta so. make that shutter, yeah. So yeah, sometimes we have to find weird times of day to write together, or just plan a weekend and go to someone's cottage and do it that way. The peptides have done that a couple times. Okay. Yeah. Well, and you're also doing a, a electronic duo, Stella Sonic. Yes. So. Tell us a bit about that, but I also wanted to ask you if there's any genre that you haven't really delved into that you would love to pursue in the future, Ooh. potentially. Okay, well, I'll start with the Stella Sonic. Yeah, for sure. So the Stella Sonic is a duo. It's a collaboration between myself and Jason Jack Nunes, who uh, is a producer, engineer, extraordinaire in town, composer extraordinaire. And so um, it started, I guess, in maybe 2016 or 2017. Okay. Uh, it was right after I had recorded my second album. Solstice. I, re I recorded Solstice at Jason's studio. And that whole experience was just so positive that after Solstice was all said and done, uh, Jason reached out to me and asked if I wanted to try singing on one of his tracks, something that he had composed. So... He sent me some music and I sat with it for a couple weeks and then wrote some lyrics and wrote a melody. And then one day just came into the studio and he set up the mic and I just sang what I had come up with. And it was like this, this really magical moment where this, you know, piece of music suddenly had like a topic and a name and words and a melody and everything clicked and everything clicked. And we just thought, man, we got to do this again. So we just kept doing it. And we probably recorded, I've lost count now, maybe seven or 10 songs. Awesome. And uh, we've released like half of them. And so it's, it's kind of like an intermittent side project. It's like a passion project. project. Okay. Yeah, it's something that like happens sometimes. And, uh, and then sometimes we go on hiatus and then come back with some new ideas. And yeah. That's great. <laughs> and, and what's a, a genre you'd like to pursue? A genre I would like to pursue. Um... I'm kind of going, I think, in that direction with my new album, and that is sort of a more dreamy and ethereal sort of cinematic type. Cool. Um, my last album was like more funk forward, more R&B, and I have found that, you know, listening to, for example, maybe someone like Ray LaMontagne, um, who, he had an album called When the Sun Turns Black, and uh, it was just, it was all guitar-based, but it was just so cinematic it was so dreamy it just like when you close your eyes and listen to this music it would remind you of like late summer evenings and driving on dirt roads and oh wow sunsets and golden hour oh man and this is so so yeah i keep saying the word cinematic but that's all i can no, think no i really of. want it's to check it out now i'm so not familiar dreamy. with the, yeah work. it's a great album and it's not so much about like the vocal acrobatics or even the lyrics, although the lyrics are fantastic. It's just more about the mood that it creates. And I thought to myself after obsessing over that album for a while that I really would love to record something that's sort of more mood driven mm. and like less about uh, what notes I'm singing or how, you know, how, how singery I am being and just more about the overall feeling of the, the recording. Essence. And okay. so even if there's a song where I only sing like one line very, you know, like, like even if it's like one line that only has a couple notes, but it lends itself to the overall soundscape in a, in a good way, then I would 
I would release something like that too. Wow, that's something to look forward to then. Because <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask you about your upcoming album, when people could expect that. And I was going to ask what to expect, but we've heard that now. Well, we're aiming for uh, late spring right now. So cool. if everything stays on track, then that's when it will be. Um, I'm still trying to figure out the name. <laughs> so definitely this year, though. Yes, okay. yes. So I've got a collection that I've been working on for the last couple of years now through COVID. And um, it's kind of, yeah, more in that direction. It's a little bit less... My last album was kind of more about like singing, being a singer, you know, and writing melodies that were challenging, but also highly entertaining and, and mm. just being a little bit over the top. And this one is sort of more about the overall mood. Cool. Yeah. Choosing, well, choosing an album name is a whole different beast. Super tricky. Because you just mentioned that other uh, Ray, his name was? Ray La Montagne. Yeah. His, uh, When the Sun Turns Black, that's a yeah. cool album name. Yeah. I was just thinking that's going to be hard to top. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Uh, well, I actually kind of want to double back a little bit because uh, the album you did with your grandfather being your first solo effort, I wanted to know if there was things that you learned from that experience that you wanted to bring when you went to record your second album mm -hmm. and other things that maybe you said, okay, I want to shy away from that this time. Yeah. Okay, so the first album was a classic jazz album. So I was singing um, old standards and just kind of a, a, a collection of all of the favorite songs that I had done with my grandfather at the jazz club that we used to play at. So, you know, we, we would play a night, we'd do three sets. So the original album, the first album, was basically the best of all of those songs. Okay. Was it recorded in front of a live audience or no? No, but we wanted it to have that feeling. It did, because I was listening to some of it earlier, and yeah. there was times where I thought It was I live heard off the floor, so the band was recording all in real time. They oh, okay. multi-track that, and then, and then I went in and sang over top at the end. But we did want it to have sort of that, um, you know, jazz quartet playing live kind of a feeling. Yeah. And, uh, but then we did, you know, our, our own spins on the songs to, you know, make it original. Yeah. And... Um, so that was the first album. And then the second album, I guess the biggest difference was that the second album was all my own original songs. Oh, that's a huge difference. Yes. And when they came out, they they actually didn't really resemble the genre of the first album at all. They didn't come out as classic jazz. Um, hmm. You had envisioned some of them that I way? I didn't really know. I mean, I knew that up until that point, that was sort of what I was used to singing. Everything that I had sung up until then was jazz-based, at least. And uh, I mean, I, I listened. I had a lot of influences, so obviously that played into it. But then when I started writing the songs and thinking about jazz instrumentation, and then we'd start recording them with, with more of like a, a trio or a quartet, that's when we realized that, no, this, this needs other sounds on it. It needs like brass. It needs... Um, we just it just got way more funky. It, it, it almost kind of in a Jamiroquai direction. It took on you know? a life of like, its own. Yeah. Wow. And so that's how that album ended up being. And when I went in to record it, I think probably the biggest mm, difference, I'd say, in my approach as a vocalist was that I just wanted to make sure to not oversing. Um, I think that for me as a young singer, that was something that was, that was sort of a trap I fell into pretty easily was over singing was, was like, I can hit this crazy note, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> and, and Even then, if it might not be best for the song. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And I think that that's just a maturity thing. You know, when I listened to older recordings of myself from when I was like a teenager and I'm like, oh yeah, okay. That was impressive, but, but good for not her. necessary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, know? restraint can be a powerful tool. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So I think the second album, I thought, no, I want to like, I want to hang back, and if there's going to be a, a dramatic 
musical vocalist kind of a moment, I'd say it, that maybe it should only happen once or twice mm. in the whole album. A little bit of flair here. You know, there. like yeah. it, so kind of like shying away from, uh, not to say bad things about like Christina Aguilera, but her approach is like milk every note for <laughs> as many like melismas, <laughs> as much embellishment as possible, which is just something that as a vocalist, if you can do it, it's super fun to do, but it's... I and it is impressive, like, but I get what you're saying. It's impressive for like 30 seconds and then Not your ears get tired, right? Then yeah. you're like, oh, make it stop. At least that's what my ears do. <laughs> like, like I need, I want someone to sing something straight. And then that's yeah. when I put on Katie Lang and all is swell in the world again. Yeah, well, it sounds like you have very eclectic tastes and it sounds like that's feeding into your creative process a lot because I'm envisioning now that probably every album you put out is going to be drastically different from the prior I think so too, actually, because I, it's like I, I get it out of my system, you know, like I had a lot of that funky Jamiroquai kind of energy in my system at the time that I was writing Solstice. And so yep. I got that all out and we got it all recorded. And then after that, I was sort of tired and I wanted to, to, you know, do something different. Well, and then they become part of your live repertoire. So you can always revisit that feeling totally. if you're feeling funky tonight or whatever. But yeah. I get what you're saying from a, a songwriting perspective, you want to keep challenging yourself and exploring new avenues. I find um, that the music that I listen to doesn't always sound like the music I record, which Ooh. is really strange. Like I, I love Brandy Carlisle and I love Lucinda Williams and I love Nico Case and I love all these sort of like um, mysterious, like sort of Southern influenced kind of like a bit twangy sort of artists. I love that stuff. I love listening to it. It just makes me think of like summer with the windows down and, all that stuff. And then when I go to write a song, it never ends up sounding anything like that, which almost come, kind of saddens me sometimes because I would love to... You want to be that twang sometimes? I hear a Brandy Carlisle song and I'm like, I'm gonna, I want to write a song like that. And then I try and it's like, no, <laughs> that is not what's coming out of my mouth. Well, you are your own artist. Yeah. You know? So it's funny. You can't really premeditate what it's going to be. You don't know what it's going to be until it's done. Well, and if you try to control that process too much, I think you can yeah, shoot yourself you in the foot. Yeah, you stifle know? the process. Yeah, you don't want yeah. to do that. You have to let the music flow through you. You got to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes I turn to my dad to see if he's got a question. I don't know if you prepped one this time around or if you've thought of something off the cuff, but is there anything you'd like to ask? Well, something I always wonder about with singers um, is what is your pre-gig warm-up routine? How do you protect your throat when you're mm. not singing gigs? That's a great question. Things like that. Mm. Wow, that's that is a good question. I would say that my my sort of pre gig ritual has evolved a lot. Um, when I first started, like back in the Maggie's days, I was very um, strict with myself. You know, I would like I was like I can't have any cheese today, and I can't some honey lemon tea. <laughs> like the whole I was following all the rules, and um, that was helpful. But I found that the thing that always would ever foil foil a performance at least in my mind like I would be like that oh, I was foiled even though it probably came across fine to the audience but whenever a performance didn't go the way that I wanted it to go it was never because I had I had a block of cheese earlier in the day <laughs> it was not that I was eating full blocks Damn of cheese <laughs> but no it was never from like diet it was always just um my nerves and so then I started like leaning toward okay maybe I should focus more on um calming my nerves and less on what foods I'm eating. And so then suddenly I started doing like breathing exercise and, th and that became the pre-show ritual was just to calm my heartbeat and mm. just get everything kind of slowed down. Now, you know, like if you throw in like a couple glasses of bubbly, that helps too. Um, 
And then, of course, that's like something I, line, I never would have done that in the Maggie's days because like alcohol and singing, it dries out your throat. You don't want to do that. Oh, true. So then I was like, wait, if I have a glass of Prosecco and then I take a shot of olive oil... Oh, then they okay. cancel each other out. And so literally that's kind of what I've been doing lately <laughs> is I'll have like, I like to have a nice glass of wine before I sing. Cause it's just, for me, that just symbolizes like relaxation, chill out. Like it's time to be glitzy and glamorous and like Loungy. a little bit indulgent and like, I'm going to have a nice little glass of wine and I'm going to do my makeup and just like wear a cozy robe and be a little bit glamorous. And then you pull the olive oil And then out I got to take a shot of olive oil and then I'm good. <laughs> you just carry it around, yeah. So yeah, for me now, it's like, it's about like the, I, I don't know, I guess sort of like babying myself a little bit on like a show day. I'll, mm. I'll just like, I'm going to open that nice bottle that I've been eyeballing and like put on some nice music and just be, yeah. So <laughs> be a, a diva. <laughs> follow-up if I may. Mm-hmm. And another thing I'm curious about is... Um, it's interesting to hear about how you're moving through different types of music. So is there a type of music that you're afraid of? Ooh, like afraid to perform, you mean? Yeah, like, yeah. ooh, am I up to this? Or just something about the nature of it that that gets you a little worried. Mm. I would say the first thing that comes to mind is... Death metal? Is it death metal? No. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually done some like music more in the metal direction and found it really fun because it's just like no holds barred. Like, yeah, sure. Like anything. When I was touring with, um, when I was doing tours to, I'm like, when I was touring with the military, I wasn't touring with the military, but I was going to, yeah, going to perform for, for people stationed abroad. And we would put together a set list that was sort of like catering to all different tastes and and one of the songs was sabotage by the beastie boys oh nice which is like my favorite thing ever to sing because it was such a contrast from what i would do and it's just like Stand. you know you yeah, just yeah. like like let go of everything it's just dramatic and not vocalisty in any way like it's not it has nothing to do with your vocal technique or even your pitch it's just it's more about the rhythm and like the stank face and the attitude your intensity oh yeah so that's i that's my favorite and then i think the thing that i'm probably the most afraid of is is classical because it's very um it's like i feel like and i could be totally wrong when i say this but you know a classical piece is is written the melody is written and to take liberties with the melody is not something that you should be doing like mm. you you sort of are supposed to honor it sing it the way it was written and yeah. so that that always scares me because for me like i'll take liberties with a melody as um as like a I, like a, an escape like if I feel like there's a note coming up and I'm like ooh, you know what my throat feels a bit tight and I don't know if I'm gonna sing that note that's fine I'll just take a little liberty with the melody and I'll reroute it around that note and I won't actually sing that note today or maybe I'll sing it on the next song mm. or like you know I don't feel warm enough to to get to that part of my range but when you're singing classical music you can't really do that like you have to sing what's on the page yeah and that kind of terrifies me do you, do you think that tendency to take liberties uh, comes not only from you know, what's your voice up to today, but more from that initial start you had, I mean, we're talking jazz. Yeah. And nothing takes more liberties with the melody mm-hmm. than jazz, right? So Totally. Yeah. Um, I'll take liberties with a melody if I feel like I've just sung it the same way too many times in a row, you know, then I'll start adding little variations. 
but yes, I, yeah, in the in the opera world or in the classical world, I feel like I'm trying to think of classical songs that have lyrics because in my mind, classical is always like oh, just like the like say like you know Ave Maria, oh, okay, or okay. you know something like that, like something that like Pavarotti would have sung. Okay, um, yeah, I feel like you have to sing it verbatim. Yeah, like, that's just terrifying to me. <laughs> Well, you've done a lot of Christmas stuff too, I noticed. I have. And that stuff you sort of have to stick to the melody too. So traditional. People get yeah. like really offended if you, you yeah. can't go too far off. How many different ways can you sing jingle bells? Yeah. Before someone's like, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, did you say two horse open sleigh? No. Uh, that's not what it is. <laughs> um, yeah, you did the 20th annual Christmas Goose concert I wrote down here. That was just yes. last month at the NAC as well, I think. Yes, it was on the fourth stage. And for the Food Bank of Ottawa. It was, and it was a it was a songwriter circle, which was really cool. I've never been part of something like that before, where everyone, and we were all on stage at the same time. Um, and so it was like a songwriting circle where everyone would go, and maybe this is what all songwriting circles are. I wouldn't know because it was my first one, but I loved the format. Uh, everyone would in the circle would take turns doing their song. And if someone was singing one of their own songs and you, you, you kind of got a sense of what the melody is, you could hop on harmonies for the final chorus. And that's sort of encouraged, oh, wow. you know, or if you're like, Oh, this song, this song needs a shaker. You can just sort of grab the shaker and start playing percussion. And it's kind of like a Semi jam. improv. Yeah. yeah. And everyone just sort of starts joining in. That sounds and, super fun. And we all kind of join each other on each other's songs. And so we gave each other heads up of like, here's what I'm planning on doing. If you want to, you know, hit the stage with your mandolin. Um, I will totally welcome that. And I sang back up on, on like backing vocals on some people's songs and did some percussion. And it's just a really uh, magical musical exchange. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Uh, I, well, doing something for the food bank and also, like you said, performing for the troops, that must be a really powerful feeling to be doing it and benefiting others like that as opposed to like a lot of the arts is somewhat self-serving, like, hey, look at me and I want the record deal and, you know, yeah, uh, but that's you know you're helping people with your music. That must be a powerful feeling. Definitely, the gratitude is huge. Like the especially when when I was traveling to to perform for the this was in Kuwait, the right? Soldiers, yeah. The people stationed abroad. There was we went to Kuwait. We also went to the North Pole a couple times. I wanted to ask you about this. Too. <laughs> <laughs> um, the 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 last place we went right before the pandemic was in Mali, oh, cool. and that was a, a total fiasco trying to get there. That's Africa, um, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Checking my geography. Yes. And uh, and when we finally got there, we, you know, we went there to do a Canada Day party, and we were supposed to arrive the day before we actually ended up arriving, um, and that was just because leaving Ottawa and you know our our flight from Ottawa to Toronto was canceled because of weather, and then mm. we we couldn't get from Toronto to Munich, and then we missed, and we were going to go from Munich to Senegal. And like, wow. we missed one flight and then it was just like a domino effect. Yeah. And so, and the organizers were like, we have to get you there for Canada day. Like we can't, we can't do a Canada day party on the second. It has to be on the first. <laughs> and so then they, we, they split the band up cause they were like, oh, there's one seat on a plane going to Casablanca. And then there's this, there's two seats on this plane going to Paris. And then you guys can go from there to Senegal and you can go from there to, oy, and so oy. we just all split up and we were all texting each other and we're like, where are you? And he's like, I'm in Chicago. And it was like, That's it was mayhem. like 48 hours of total travel mayhem and not knowing where your bandmates are and calling, back to the um the woman who was coordinating all the travel and she was like okay so far it looks like you and tyler tyler keely was on i was playing piano she's like it looks like you and tyler are gonna make it but 
but Jamie is stranded. Jamie's our drummer. And Jamie's stranded in, in Chicago, or it was a Toronto, I think it was Toronto. So you might have to just do the whole show with you Songs and a piano. So I'm like, we're going to do Sabotage with me and a piano. That's <laughs> going to be something else. <laughs> so, but we were still like discussing, you know, like a plan. We're like, what will, what will we do if it ends up being a duo show? And there's like a couple of hundred soldiers outside in the desert wanting to party. And we've, oh, okay. So this was again for soldiers. I was wondering why they would yes. be doing a Canada Day celebration oh, I'm in sorry. Africa. I should have clarified. Yes. No, so I sort of was guessing that. It's the, the whole way, Canadian contingent um, at the UN base in Africa, in Mali. Okay. And uh, so we were going there to perform on the Canadian compound. And there were people from other countries there too. There were some Dutch soldiers and some German soldiers and some French soldiers that had all come to the party as well just to celebrate Canada with us. Who doesn't and, like the Beastie Boys? Oh, man. It was, <laughs> it was a party. It wow. Wow, that sounds fantastic. But we had been traveling for two days and... Jet lag and... We didn't know if we were going to have instruments uh, by the time we arrived Good because Lord. the instruments had been lost and I didn't have like clothing that wasn't like the stuff I wore on the plane. Oh, <laughs> like, no. So you're like washing your underwear in the sink in the airport it's kind like, of what situation. What else can go wrong? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're a barbershop group now. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It was an adventure. But yeah, to go back to just the appreciation that we felt, you know, going to these places where these people have been so far from their families for so long, doing really grueling, terrifying work. And you're um, bringing a piece of home to them. Yeah. And we show up and, you know, we had, we had tried to learn a bunch of uh, Canadian repertoire as well. So we had like some real, real magical moments doing like a, a medley of just a bunch of blue rodeo songs. Or like Gordon Lightfoot or something. Yes, like. exactly. And mm. just bringing that and bringing that party and, and seeing them, you know, all sitting and then eventually standing, but just in the front row, just like swaying back and forth. And they had these little, the, the little paper can, Canadian flags. Oh, that's awesome. You know, and, and everyone was just this, the glowingness, like the smiles on people's faces. Like it was their first time being able to actually relax. I mean, no one's ever really fully relaxed when they're, you know, on a United Nations space, but, but like more at ease than usual. Not, yeah, yeah, not physically out there and just being able to just like have a drink of some pretend beer and, listen to a band play. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. Uh, well, Kuwait, I wanted to ask you because that that's Afghanistan, right? Yeah. I believe. Okay. So. Well, Kuwait is its own thing. Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm showing my <laughs> lack of knowledge on but the Middle East. But very close, yes. Um, but it's dangerous nonetheless. So I wanted to know if there was a point during that that you were ever at fear of your own safety or a little on edge about that kind of sort of thing. We heard some stories of, um, there were, there were some people sort of ch charging the compound, I guess, when we were there. Um, just sort of trying to, um, I guess, just scare, intimidate. You know, there were like uh, people making um, improvised rockets, explosives and things like trying to throw them over the walls or Jeez. just, yeah, there was always just sort of this threat that was always ongoing. It, it actually was more scary in Mali than it was in Kuwait. Oh, yeah? Uh, in Kuwait, we were a little bit further away from the, uh, you know, the violence, whereas in Mali, we were literally like one kilometer from like serious combat. Oh, so that how do you was, keep your cool performing during that? Like knowing that's in the back of your head, like, you know, it's, you don't really understand it until you're in it because going to like, when we were approaching Mali and we were in the Herc, 
um, they did this, I think it's, I'm going to get this wrong, but it's something like a combat approach or a battle approach where they stay as high as they can for as long as they can. And then right when it's like the last possible opportunity to start descending to land is when they do it. So it sort of feels like you're in this plane that suddenly just goes for a nosedive. Oh my God. And it was the same thing taking off. It was like taking off like a rocket. We want to get as high as quickly as possible. So, and, and of course they explained it to us. They're like, well, we're going to stay high and then we're going to do this kind of like a really short, steep approach. And that's just just in case people want to try to hit the plane with rockets or something, you know, and they just sort of explain that. Is there like a significant threat of that or it was more just them being overly precautious? I didn't really ask them. (laughs) I was like, I I don't want to know how serious this is, but I'm just going to, I, you know, I trust that this is the, this is what what you're doing. I trust you guys. Right. Um, Afterwards, I remember like a year later, my dad had sent me this article saying that in that time, um, in that geographical location, that was actually the most, um, dangerous place on the planet to be. Like there was the most, you know, deaths by terrorism happening in that exact place at the time that we were there. And we had no idea that it's it nice was... nice to be reading that after the fact. It was, yeah, it was like a year <laughs> after he sent me this article and I was like, whoa, that's when I was there. Wow. And I didn't realize that that was... That's I a mean, little bit haunting. Yeah, I mean, I know that they wouldn't bring in civilians if it was um, too high of a risk. Yeah. But there was still a lot of... Uh, safety protocol things happening. That's absolutely insane. Yeah. Very cool that you did that and that you, <laughs> you've lived to tell the tale and all that, but that must've been, wow. Especially learning that later and going, shit, I could have died. Yeah. And then I remember actually the, the New Year's Eve um, of the year that we were there, I was at a New Year's Eve party and this girl walks up to me and it's a, it's a party just completely unrelated to, you know, it was, it was actually at Didi's house. Didi's one of the peptides. And I was at Didi's house and we were just having a little New Year's Eve party. And this girl walks up to me and she goes, I just want to thank you for coming and playing for us on Canada Day. And I was like, playing for you. And, then I, and in my head, I was like, no, I was in Africa on Canada Day. You know, and then I was like, yeah. were you in Mali? And she's like, yeah, I'm a helicopter pilot. And I was there and it just meant so much to That's have so you guys. Cool. There. It was amazing. You know, she just like, what are the chances? Yeah, I couldn't believe it. It was like a house party. There was only like 20 people there. It was, you know, it was it was crazy, and so she said, "Yeah, we still owe you a, a flight." We were, they were going to take us up in the helicopter when we were there, but because we had arrived so late, we sort of missed all uh, of the yeah, like <laughs> that opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Wow, it was really it was amazing. Okay, well, seeing that you've performed in Asia and Africa and the Middle East uh, and the North Pole, which I'm going to get to in a second, I just wanted to know if there was anywhere in the world that you were like longing to go and perform. Yes, I want to do a winery tour. In Stellenbosch, in Where's, South Africa. So, okay, I would Just not know where that was. Town. I saw, it was the last place I went before the pandemic. It was uh, I went to South Africa with my partner, and we spent um, a couple nights in Cape Town, and then a couple nights up in the wine region, which is called Stellenbosch, and. It was just the most spectacular place. And I, I feel like we didn't stay long enough. Like it was just a couple of days there. And the night that we were checking out, we had stayed at this winery. And the night that we were leaving, they were like, oh, too bad you guys are leaving. There's a jazz, there's like a jazz quartet that's going to play out on that patio. And this patio was like surrounded by vineyards and then these giant mountains. And it was just like the most magical setting. And I was immediately so envious of that jazz trio. Like I was like, Oh, I want to play that gig. I want to stay. I want to sing with them. Like, I just want to do that. That would be incredible. And then that's when I had this idea, like, wouldn't it be so cool to just tour all the wineries with a jazz quartet and just do like a jazz tour of the wine region north of Cape town in South Africa. And then you've already got the wine. You just need oh, olive oil. And... It would, that would be, yeah, that's my dream. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> that's my current dream. It may evolve in the years to come. 
But that's the thing that I'm kind of dreaming about right now. Maybe it's the weather outside that's making me dream of it. That's a great answer. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if we can revisit the North Pole, because when I read that, I wasn't sure if that was just a like a nod to Christmas. Like, yeah, we performed for Santa because I thought the North Pole was not like a landmass in the way that... Yeah, like uh, Antarctica is a big giant land thing, but mm. I was always under the impression that the North Pole was just floating ice. <laughs> yeah, well, we weren't on the um, literal, most literals of literal North Pole, um, but alert. Oh, alert. That's what I was going to say. Alert we learned about that in school. Is, yeah, is the northerly most settlement in the world. And I think that, oh man, I'm going to get this wrong. I think it might be, it's 800 kilometers from the actual magnetic North Pole. Wow. Um, so it's just on the tip of like the you know, the most, most northerly landmass. Yeah. Um, and when we were up there, yeah, we were like, we, the first time I went up there was in polar darkness. So it was just nighttime for two weeks straight. Ugh. And then the second time I went was daytime for the whole, I, we were there for a week. Those both sound terrible. Uh, the daytime was way worse. Oh yeah. I would so, think it would be really depressing having no sunlight for two weeks. It was kind of fun, actually. I found the nighttime way more fun. Um, I don't know why. It just... We were inside this compound. It it felt like an emergency all the time. Like, you know, there's like all these big locks on the doors and they had all these different protocols in place for like, oh, if polar bears come onto the compound, then like the doors lock and no one goes outside because there's polar bears. Or if the temperature drops below minus 50, also no one goes outside. Um, there was just all these like, yeah, these protocols in place for like, if this happens, we do this. And it just, I'm starting to think you're a bit of a thrill seeker. <laughs> it felt like an emergency, but it felt like a really safe, like warm, cozy emergency. Yeah. They had the protocols in place for that. And it's, it's like this big, um, what is it? Kind of like hexagonal shaped building with all of these, you know, there's two floors and then all the hallways where people are like living on, uh, on sort of the outer Interesting. Like, yeah, that's where all the little like apartments and bunkies and rooms where people, the accommodations. Yeah. And then in the center is where the cafeteria is. And then sort of the gathering spot where there's like kind of this atrium where people hang out, where there's just like movies happening and you can get like coffee, tea. There's always like freshly baked cookies. Any time of the day, you just go down to the atrium. You're like, well, let's go check out the atrium. And then there's just people watching movies, eating cookies, and then you just hang out and then we'd go to the mess and have a glass of wine and play pool. And Did it you was... see polar bears when you were there? No, I didn't. Probably for the best. <laughs> I heard about them. Um, apparently they had been there like a couple weeks prior to our arrival. Because yeah, they will eat people from what I've oh, heard. Oh, for sure. Yeah, they're very, very dangerous Yeah, creatures. so when, if uh, there's like, you know, a lot of people stationed outside just kind of on guard watching. Um, and then if, if there's any outside danger, then the whole place goes into lockdown. Which is like super exciting because <laughs> I mean, I never felt like I was in any sort of danger, you know, being in this like very secure building and with like heavily armed people. Like I feel like. I'm, it feels like a movie or I'm something. Good. Yeah. 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 But okay. yeah, uh, daylight for a week, you must have some crazy blackout daylight blinds. Daylight for a week was insanity. Um, yeah. You have crazy blackout blinds, but your whole, like for me, I found the per the perpetual night, like going to bed was fine. I could do that. I could sleep at night, but the perpetual daytime sleeping was not a thing you'd wake up at 3 a.m to go to the washroom and then your brain would just be totally yeah. on because you'd be like oh it's noon you know it looks like noon and it was a circadian rhythm is that what they call it yeah. so messed up so i your didn't like that hardwired. as much and also because in the summertime there is a bit of a thaw even at the north pole like it it melts down to like rocks and gravel and you can see the rocks and gravel okay um and there's there's actually patches of melted water like on some days it, it might go uh, up to like five degrees or something 
That's warmer than I would have thought. Yeah. yeah. And so on Canada Day, because we were there for Canada Day when we visited in the summertime, they did a polar bear dip where um, we all jumped in the Arctic Ocean on Canada Day. And the ocean was actually, the water was below freezing. Like it was minus three degrees. It wasn't frozen because it was salt water, but it was below, it was like the coldest water. Like <laughs> you can't do an Arctic dip like that in Ontario because it would be frozen at zero. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was below freezing and... There was just enough of a thaw that we could we could just get in up to our shoulders. And so everyone just ran in and we had to take like a full medical before being allowed to do the polar bear dip. Well, how long do you actually stay in the water? Probably not long. Oh, just you just run in and you immerse your just, body and, and then jump out. Then you run out. But you have to immerse your body. Like it has to go up to your neck or else you haven't done it. You didn't do the real deal. <laughs> yes. And you have to hope that it doesn't turn into an actual had, polar like, bear dip when... They had cut away some of the ice, like because it had thawed and, and the water was only about a foot deep and we, we needed to get out to the deep water. So they had cut away some of the ice so that we could all run out and like fully Crazy. immerse ourselves. And then they had this bonfire that was like the size of a house. Whoa. So we'd all run into the ocean and then we'd run out and just like beeline it to the bonfire and stand next to it. Oh, you have had quite the <laughs> life for someone who's not even 40 yet. Wow. <laughs> Talk about stories, man. Um, it's is, the military. They, it's the military that's given me all the amazing stories. Yeah, it sounds like. Yeah. Also terrifying ones in some respects. Super but, terrifying also, yes. Um, is there a performance in your entire career that you would sort of bill as maybe not the most important, but the one that means the most to you and vice versa? Is there any performance that you would rather not think about because it was just oh. abysmal or dread, dreadful? I'm so good at... Um, Controlling my mind in that if there's something I ha I, I wished to have forgotten about, I, I probably have successfully done that. Just excised it from like, here. Seriously, <laughs> like to me, that's the worst thing ever is when you do a bad thing and then you're obsessed with it forever. Like mm. that's the, the that's the ultimate torture. Yeah, so I'm just like, nope, it never happened. It's gone. And then I actually get to a point where I, I truly do forget. That sounds so pretty healthy, I, though. I, can't, I, can't even, I guess trauma does that, right? Yeah. You know, you forget about the really bad stuff. Um. So I can't, I can't even think of a really bad thing, but... Well, you're also a really good singer, so I imagine that you probably... <laughs> I can... know there have been really bad moments, because right now, trying to dig it up, I'm like getting this weird feeling in my body, like, like no, Rebecca, don't go don't there. Don't think about it. <laughs> um, but the best, there have been so many. Or just many. one that's the most important to you on a personal level. I think the one level. that stands out the most was, um, I was on a show called La Voix, which is the voice, right? The voice, yes, the the Canadian edition of the voice, which uh, was picked up by a production company in Montreal, and so it was formatted completely in French. And mm. at the time, I was less comfortable uh, in a in a francophone, fully francophone environment. I just, you know, I could just barely get by. Like I was, I could understand enough, but to speak it, I was. Did you have to sing in French as well? Or? So yeah, it was the first. It was the first time that I was ever asked to sing in French, and I was terrified because I, I'll sing in French to my regular audience because they're forgiving, and also most of them are anglophone. You so know, they won't catch those. Yeah. yeah. Whereas this one was, you know, you you have to sing in French to a completely an audience of total strangers, all of which are francophone. So if you make a mistake, like it's not going to go unnoticed. You know, yeah. and so that pressure was. A and yet lot. you were still the first runner-up. Let's it, just uh, point that out. You it still did turned all right. out well, uh, but leading up to it, that was the scariest thing ever. And uh, like, I was trying not to think of the weight of the situation. Like, they were like, "This show has more viewership than when the Montreal Canadiens were in the Stanley Cup Finals." And this is like the like to me, that's insane. That's you know, huge. This, yeah, and this is in the province of Quebec, and so 
to, to go and do this thing that I've never done before in front of an audience that, that doesn't know me. Um, and then also like trying, you know, trying to do my best at something that I, that's not native, like not my native tongue, but yeah. is their native tongue. It was like totally terrifying, but I had great coaches it makes it that much more impressive that and you I, play oh, so well in the end, oh, too. Oh, thank you. Well, really. I mean, yeah. you're saying, talking about how out of your comfort zone you were. I and then so uncomfortable. Silver metal ain't oh, bad. Man. I felt like it It affected my ability to really be myself. Because I'm, I'm usually a little bit more laid back or goofy or like playful on stage. But yeah. in that on that show, I was never any of those things. I was always like super uptight and and like sweaty palms. Understandably, yeah, though. Yeah, yeah. And was it the same format as, as the English version of the show where they spin around in their chairs? And... Exactly. Okay. Yeah. I kind of was going to ask you about that as well, because I know like reality shows kind of look staged a lot of the time, or I just wondered what the feel was when you were actually there. Did it feel kind of, it was more, it was more real than I was expecting it to be. Like I thought there'd be more safety nets, Mm. you know, I'm like, this is television. They want the, they want the program to be good. They don't want people to go and fall on their faces. Although that does make for really good TV. But that's supposed to be like the auditions uh, at the beginning of American Idol. No one wants to see that at the end. So they invited me to be on the show. I was, I was originally contacted by a producer from the show and they were like, we think you'd be really great on this show. And I, I remember watching an episode and thinking like, that looks like a lot of fun, but I think I don't think that my French is good enough. I think that I'm going to embarrass myself. And I said that to the producer. I was like, I would love to. I'm really flattered with the invitation, but I feel like uh, I'm going to make some for some like really awkward television. And that's probably not what you guys want. (laughs) And they were like, no, we'll, we'll help you. Like, we'll make sure that you don't, you know, fall on your face. And I was like, I really want to trust you. But in the back of my mind, I'm wondering if you're casting me on the show as like, so that I can be that girl that falls on her face. The stupid anglophone. I don't know, right? I don't know what it is. I don't know what the, like, what's the storyline here? There's got to be one. It's like, it's television, angle? right? Yeah. yeah. And they were like, no, well, you know, if you have, if you, if you stumble on something, we'll, we, we can stop and we can go back and we can work on it and make it so that you're happy with what you've done. And oh, that's comforting. I was like, I love that offer, but I'm still terrified that you're just saying that, <laughs> you know? They're but just trying to coerce you into it. Yeah, I was yeah. terrified. But so I think there was like a, a big trust issue happening for like the first half of that show. Hmm. I was worried that I was like the, I was going to be like the punchline, but then that's not what it was at all. In fact, it was like the complete opposite and people were prepping me for it too. They were like, you know, they're going to rip you to shreds. You know, they're going to make fun of your accent. You know that like Mm. people were like, there were so many pessimists (laughs) whispering in my ears and they're like, they were like, they thought that they were like preparing me for like my inevitable fail. They're like, you know, it's going to be bad. And oh, to soften the blow. To soften it. Right. I was like, I know, trust me, that is on my radar, but I'm still going to do it. I still want to do this. And then it ended up being the complete opposite. Like the public was so warm and so supportive and so appreciative that I was attempting to engage in a language. I think that speaks to like the larger language barrier because I always feel that way just about speaking French and then you learn that usually people just commend you for trying. Right, yeah. And it really is a huge thing. People are so worried that they're like, oh, they're just going to laugh at you. And it's like, no, they're not. People like, they're, (laughs) people are human. Do you do that when someone speaks English? When someone tries to speak English, like for sure. Yeah, Yeah. I'm like, whoa, that that was amazing. (laughs) Like I can tell that that person this is not their, you know, their yeah, native they're really tongue. trying. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, that's, uh, I think that's just our internalization. I think everybody does that. Everybody worries that everyone's going to point and stare. Yeah. And we just and... expect that like everyone's a jerk, but that's not true. There are some, but <laughs> there's not everyone is a jerk. <laughs> um, 
Okay, I have to talk about some of the artists you've shared bills with, just to name drop a few, because B.B. King, Johnny Winter, my dad probably doesn't know these. Uh, well, you know the artist, but you don't know that she's been on the same bill. Leonard Skinner, Buddy Guy, Nora Jones, Bonnie Raitt. So very impressive, but that led me to thinking, is there an artist or artist that you would love to collaborate with, like dream artist, dead or alive, whatever, mm. you know, if you were to do a duet with someone or something along those lines. Every time I'm asked this, I say the same answer. And I'm wondering if people are like, yes, Rebecca, we know that you love Katie Lang. Because <laughs> I always say Katie Lang. Well, then give, um, then let's say she's, she's, you can't pick her. <laughs> she's my ultimate. Okay. She's my, so just to get that out, just so everyone knows, Katie Lang would be my like bucket list duet partner or just to like write a song with her or anything. I met her one time and I was like, I was... I just embarrassed myself. I, I didn't say anything intelligent. I just like smiled at her and I was like, hi, I'm, I like your music. <laughs> I just, just dumbfounded. I had nothing, I had nothing intelligent to say. Um, but I think uh, another person who I would love to collaborate with would be Brandy Carlisle. I know I've mentioned her a couple of times. I know times, the name. I, I couldn't. She is so cool. Okay. Um, she's, what style of music uh, is she? I would call her sort of Southern folk rock. Okay. Um, and she's just fantastic. She's an incredible songwriter. She's an amazing lyricist. She's just, she's my current jam right now. Um, Are there any deceased artists that come to mind? Ooh. So if you could resurrect someone for a performance? Or, or a male artist. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting as well. Yeah. A male artist. Um, I think that I would love to... Ooh. Chris Cornell would be an amazing duet partner. powerful voice oh, on him. Man. Wow. That would be, ugh, that would be a dream. I feel like I've said wow so much this episode, but <laughs> you just keep telling all these crazy stories. Oh, and... Sammy Davis Jr. Okay, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah, because he's, he's so incredibly talented, but also um, he's he was funny. Seems like a cool dude. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, huge personality, multidisciplinary, just, yeah, really Legend. amazing. Yeah, yeah. Is the original cool cat? He yeah. is. Uh, he was my favorite. Yeah, I think he was the best of the it's Rat like the, Pack. Yeah, I was gonna say Rat Pack. Okay. Yeah, Frank Sinatra. Everyone. Okay. Yeah, everyone was all Frank, but I'm like, I don't know, Sammy D. Did he have a fake eye? Is that correct? I don't know. Did yeah, he? he had. He only had one eye. Yeah. No way. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. I, I, I knew something I about him. I couldn't cool. tell that. Wow. <laughs> you learned something. New. I remember weird factoids, but not much <laughs> else. So yeah. where where would you like to be in another twenty years then, or uh -oh. your career to be? Um. Ooh. Singing duets with Katie Lang would be great, but uh, singing a Bond anthem would be great. Um, in another 20 or 30 years, I would really just love to to do more traveling musically. I'd love to tour more. Um, a lot of what I've done so far, like I toured a lot in my earlier 20s, and then it sort of quieted down for my later 20s, and then... Um, then I did more, a lot more local touring, just sort of um, between here and the east coast of Canada, just okay. that whole circuit. But I really want to go back to to Europe. I would love to to go back to South Africa, as I mentioned. I've heard you talk about South America at all. I've never been to South America. Well, there you go. Um, I guess I have a hard time sort of figuring out how I would fit in there because I find like their music scene is so incredible, and it is it is a genre that I would wouldn't dare. Um, attempt just sort of you know just latin music in general um i find it's just so exciting and so yeah. and it's it's kind of so intimidating it's intimidating and... like there's so many elements and it's so sophisticated that like, so I, is so much of the other stuff you perform <laughs> you know what i mean that i feel like if i went to south america it would just be to to be a an just audience observe. yeah mm. i think expect. you're selling yourself short i'm sure you could master <laughs> that like i you know i'd love like i know i can't sing 
any of the songs because none of them are in English. Um, I could try to to learn a song in Spanish, but I feel like then I'd want to sing it for an English audience, not a Spanish audience, because then no one would know how weak or strong my Spanish was. <laughs> but I would love to go down there and like play some percussion, maybe. I was going to say, start easy with something that, that does both, like The Girl from Ipanema or something like that, Ooh. where you've got both languages available to you yeah. and you can flow back and forth or, or learn one. Yeah, yeah. that's a good And this idea. brings up another good point with the Latin music. A huge part of that is dancing. How are you as a dancer? I think that I move well. Like I'm I've seen you move on stage a bit. But. Yeah, like I'm, I'm good at mimicking stuff that I see. So that tells me, I feel like if I had actual instruction, I could probably do it. Mm. Um, a friend of mine, he's started ballroom dancing. Well, he's he's been a dancer his whole life, but he recently started ballroom dancing and posting these videos of him doing rumba and going to like these competitions and just like totally killing it. And I, I'm, I'm, I've been obsessed with following his whole journey and thinking to myself, like every time I, I see one of his videos, I'm like, I want to go. I, I want to call him up and be like, Matt, can I come to dance with you on Tuesday and just like watch? Take it all in. And then like maybe after a couple of weeks, like try dancing. Because <laughs> I feel like I feel like I could do it. I find like tango and, and stuff where you have a partner terrifies me. Like I only in the last... I guess, well, ever since Kelly and I got together, basically, was when I discovered I love dancing. Oh, I used you do? To, I used to be so averse to it, like, just hiding from it, essentially. And then when we got together at a wedding, I've told this story before, but uh, I just kind of let go of it. And then I realized, oh, yeah, I play music. Like, I have decent rhythm. And now I love dancing. But even when we go dancing together, the second, like, she tries to, like, hold my hand and make us dance together, it's like my brain just stops working oh. and I lose it completely. So I, I think that, like, yeah, the idea of dancing with a partner is, is very scary to me. It is a bit scary, actually. I'll dance next to somebody and do that whole, like, partner thing. But yes. the actual, like, spinning someone around and the dip and all that. The... Because it's a whole, um, there's a... There's like a template that you have, fo- you know, that you, yeah, it's like, like there's rules like, almost. There's, there's yeah. numbers and steps and things that you have to follow. Well, and also just that you synchronizing with another it. person as opposed to just being in your own element and just sort of feeling it on your own, you know? Yeah, it's like you'd have to learn with a partner and then just sort of always be with that same partner. So that if you ever found yourself at a nightclub in Havana and you wanted to just like hit the dance floor and improvise, you'd already be on the same page because yeah. you had been dancing already together. Yeah, there's probably some people who are the opposite of me who can only dance with a partner and find it terrifying True. to dance on their own. That's probably yeah. If you learned that way, I guess yeah, really is the the main factor. Well, I think we've almost gone over everything. There's one question I asked last episode that I was thinking about making a, a mainstay, which I just think is fun. If you could uh, order a magnificent pizza, what would your three toppings be? Oh, only three? Yeah, I know. It's a little limiting. Although the the first person we asked, he actually his first topping was. I'm only going to have two toppings. So he chose to like just give one of them Did up. he just go with like a margarita? <laughs> what did he? Uh, no, he did like a, like a basically a Hawaiian. It was like pineapple and, and some sort of meat like ham or something like that. But he didn't want a third topping. He said that that was too, I don't wow. know, not overwhelming. That's the wrong word, but just too um, crowded, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas I'm, I'm more like you. I always put way too many. I like, uh, I'm, I'm weird. I like onions on a pizza. But like I like them to be cut in squares, not in like long oh, strips. Strands. Are gross. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. that doesn't work. Uh, Shallots but, are <laughs> like cubed onions, and I really love fresh basil. Okay, I might do like a margarita, but just like add some onions. Is that weird? Basil throws me off. I would have said basil. I know they're both they're both <laughs> correct, but that... it's funny. My parents' dog is named Basil. 
Basil, Basil, but they, they call him Basil. I call him Basil, and it's just this whole. I think family. either are, are okay. It's just a dialect thing, or or is Basil the man's name and Basil is? I the think ba- Basil is when you have an e l at the end, like Basil Switzerland. Oh, oh, weird. I okay. always wondered how that was pronounced. I always thought it was Basel or something. I don't know. I don't know oh. how it's pronounced. Maybe but I'm wrong. I don't know. Maybe no. It could be Basil <laughs> so for sure. Onion, Basil, and oh, I get three. Yeah, yeah three. Oh, hey. Um, and cheese and tomato sauce don't t- like they're oh, yeah, already no, those are they're given. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, then let's go onion, basil, ba- ba- <laughs> bahazel, bahazel. Um, and um, you're just gonna want pizza after this. <laughs> <sighs> this is so hard because I want a meat on there, like some hot soppressata or something. But I also really love tomatoes, like mm. fresh tomatoes, like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Tomatoes can make a pizza kind of sloppy, though, I find. You if have to too have, wet. like, a good crust. There has to be a good cheese barrier yeah. happening there. Or you're getting a flop to that. Yeah, because yeah. is it a thin crust or, like, a like a colonnade style? Right? Uh, this is a relatively new question. Because if it's a so. colonnade style, <laughs> like a San like Marino style, like big, yeah. yeah. Uh, then, I, then I would want, like, green pepper and olives. Oh, olives are one of my main, for sure. And, and like, pepperoni, just, mm. like, a deluxe. But yeah, otherwise, okay, yes. I'm, I've been dragging on this question forever. No, that's this okay. This is very important. I like this question because everybody likes pizza. <laughs> so I feel like everyone is weighing in when they listen to this. Okay. Hot soprasetta? Soprasetta? Am I saying? I don't even remember. Prosciutto? Prosciutto? No, oh. no. Like it's, mm. like it's like pepperoni, but it's just bigger. So a spicy like, meat. <laughs> a spicy, spicy pig Italian meat. <laughs> sausage kind of a thing. Okay. And then, um, yeah, and then the basil and the, and the onions. That sounds pretty that. good. <laughs> right on. I, I don't think I ever asked my dad, but maybe this pizza question has gone on for too long. I'm I curious. Yeah. What, me? Yes. Yeah. What would you put? Uh, well, I to be honest, I like uh, the Hawaiian with uh, olives, green olives, though. I hate Kalamata olives. They have to be The green. black oh. ones, yeah. yeah. Now, do you hate Kalamata olives just on pizza or just in general? In general. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I would say I lean that way as well. I'll eat them, but they're nothing. They don't have green. the structural yeah. integrity of a green olive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I'll eat them too. Like when I, when there's no other choice, but I would never choose to eat them. I really like like Sicilian olives, like the ones that are still pretty green. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to like chew them You can off get some the, gigantic olives too at the so olive good. bars. They're like really buttery. Yeah. Whew. And salty though. That's the yeah. thing you got to worry about. There's so much sodium in yeah. olives. <laughs> You're just like dehydrated <laughs> afterwards. And the other thing you brought up, actually, which I hadn't even really considered, is the thickness, because I am not a thin crust. Like, if I'm eating pizza, I want, like, like a pillow for the, mm. the crust, you know? See, I've gone, I've spent a lot of time in Italy, and just because I'm obsessed with it, I'm an Italophile. That's what mm. I call myself. Okay. I just like to pretend. You love the culture. I like to pretend I'm Italian. You could probably <laughs> People pull are like, you go wise. there all the time. Do you have family there? And I'm like, no, I'm not even Italian. I just go there a lot. I would have believed you if you said you had Italian roots. Like That's, yeah, I'm I'm like sort of ambiguous that way. I can sort of just... <laughs> can, well, even when we were talking about South America, yeah, I was like, you I could, could probably... Argentinian, yeah. who knows? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, after, after spending a lot of time there and just doing pizza their way, it's... It's so different than than the colonnade style. It's like it's a completely different food, you know. Yeah. It's like light and the mozzarella. And it's, it's just an appetizer, right? Like, and they'll just do those blobs it's not of meant mozzarella. To fill you up. Yes. Without actually like co- even covering the whole pizza. I was which lucky I enough to go to the pizzeria that was was touted as like the the best pizza in all of Italy by the Italians. That's and a bold my claim. friend, my friend Paolo, who is a musician and a photographer in Italy, he took me there on one of my visits. He was like, "Would you like to have the best 
pizza in all of Italy? And I was like, yes. And he's like, okay, we just have to drive south for eight hours. And I was like, Worth let's it. do it. So we drove all the way from uh, like northern Abruzzo, which is like up near the top of the Adriatic, um, all the way down to uh, Naples <laughs> for pizza. For pizza. That's amazing, though. I respect that so much. <laughs> oh, that was good. Yeah, I'm trying to like lean towards thinner pizza because obviously calories wise, it's very the smarter decision as you get older to start to enjoy thin crust pizza. But, but I just can't say when it's like cracker, like overcooked and you're like chomping mm-hmm. these hard bites. I don't do it. I, like Tennessee Williams has got some pretty serious pizza game and also Joe's Pizza in Almont, which is where I just bought a house. And so now I'm going to be like oh, wow. Congratulations. eating the Joe's. Yes, thank you. Oh, that's a big, huge yeah. life achievement. Achievement. <laughs> achievement? I said achievement. You said achievement. <laughs> I swear to God, you can't make this shit up. We go to Barney's down the street here, which is phenomenal pizza. I don't know if you've ever had. Where's it. Barney's? It's uh, like right over. The, just go past IKEA over the little bridge, and it's just off to the left. It's kind of hidden. It's in not the best neighborhood. That's about the only okay. downside to getting your pizza there. Is you did might it used get to be called Benici? Is it different from Benici? I, no, I think they've been on Barney's. Iris? No, okay. Uh, and they have... No, no, it's not on Iris. It's like the other side of the 417. You okay. Go over. Anyways, great I love place. all the pizza. Uh, all the pizza. I meant to say all the people. <laughs> We're, We're like, so hardwired. Pizza puns are I was going to say, over. I love all the people in like um, Sweden right now who are watching this and they're like... Would you guys stop it with all the local pizza? You're like <laughs> I don't think we have that many Swedish fans. Us. Yeah, they're all... All right, all you're right. It might make them a little crusty. Uh, <laughs> that one was on purpose. That one was on purpose. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, that's. Uh, I've got one question <laughs> left, which is the season four question I've been asking everyone so far this season, which is, uh, what is the shittiest job you've ever had, or just the one you hated the most? Oof. Uh, ooh. Ooh. Yes. Everyone's got one, at least. I. Uh, okay. So, um, I was the Ace Bakery bread detective. Okay, Ace Bakery, we all love their bread, right? We're not slagging Ace Bakery's bread because their bread is fantastic. But I worked for Ace Bakery and my job was to go, and this was the first job I ever had. I was a teenager. Um, was to go to the, they were just, they were just moving this product into Ottawa and um, they would, they would half bake it and then they'd flash freeze the loaves and send them to Loblaws and then the bakery at Loblaws would finish the baking process. Mm. But they wanted someone on the ground to go to the grocery stores and make sure that the breads were being baked to like the right degree of finishedness. So that they weren't being represented badly. Yeah. Like, so it's like, oh, this is undercooked or overcooked or whatever. Like, <laughs> what a weird job. And so my job was to go to the store and um, and just like check out the ace rack and make sure that it was like being displayed properly. And then we would do like samples. We'd be like, would you like to try some rosemary and uh, olive oil focaccia? Or this is our cranberry loaf. And we would like taste test the bread. And so every time I would show up at a grocery store... Like there was this one guy in one of the bakeries and he was like, oh, it's the Ace Bakery Bread Detective. <laughs> that was wasn't like, your official title? Oh, that's hilarious. So that's just what, how I referred to myself after that was the Ace Bakery. Yeah, I'm picturing you with like one of those FBI things. Like, <laughs> like, bread Detective. Reading an upside down newspaper, like munching on some baguettes. If we're going with the puns, that job sounds like a real pain. Oh, Fran- wow. French for bread for Man, our non that was French listeners. Next level. <laughs> it's um, terrible. And I like... It wasn't a terrible job. Like I, I, there was some freedom there, but um, I got in trouble because I sang on the job one time. Mm. I do you remember? Do you ever remember when they'd have like live music in the grocery store? No. Yeah. So when the like Great Canadian Superstore first opened and they had the two levels, like it was like 
they would know, have a performer? They had like live music. And Weird. there was like a guy with a guitar. And one time I was bread detectiving. And then I knew the guy <laughs> with the guitar. I was like, hey, Bill, or whoever it was. And he was like, hey, what are you doing here? I was like, oh, I, I work in the bakery. I Just was, loafing around. So. I was like, oh my gosh, you're like the pun king. <laughs> And then, yeah, he was playing music. And then he's like, you you want to get up for a number? And I was like, heck yes, I do. So I got up and sang, but I was like fully in my ace like uniform. And so then when I got back to the bakery, they were like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I was on break. I just took a break, sang some songs. Yeah, like that's a harsh to kill that and then vibe. And I got fired. For singing on the job. <laughs> this story just and, got yeah. even weirder. <laughs> oh my God, that's the best answer, I think, for the whole season. Wow. I mean. We'll see what else people come up with for the rest got of the season. Got myself fired by singing. As, you got yourself fired from being a bread detective. Let's not forget <laughs> that part of this story. Wow, that's going to be hard to top. Well, yeah. thank you so much for sharing your time with me and all these amazing stories. And I hope everyone goes and checks out your stuff. Is there anything else we should be plugging? Centerpoint in February, I know you're doing. Yes, February 16th. Um, just a night with Rebecca Noel. It's just a bunch of original stuff with my band. And then, and then yeah. Um, the Bond, Bond, Bond and Beyond next week and Decades of Bond after that. Check your what I got going on. local listings. <laughs> well, I'll post some links and all that. And I uh, hope people check out all your stuff on YouTube and everything as well. Yeah. And, and all the best to you in your future endeavors. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. We always high five at the end. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, for sure. This was so fun. Woo-hoo. All right. Well, thanks for watching. Bye.